Up next, an In Focus exclusive as we go one-on-one with Dr. Anthony Fauci, plus the fallout from the deadly FedEx shooting here in Indy. We'll talk with State Senator Aaron Houchin and State Senator Greg Taylor. This year's legislative session now complete. All that, plus I'll go one-on-one with DNC Chair Jamie Harrison and Indiana Senator Todd Young ahead of President Biden's address to Congress next week. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Big news from federal health regulators who approved the Johnson & Johnson vaccine to be resumed nationwide Friday after it was put on pause because of a handful of rare cases involving blood clots. They gave it out again this weekend at IMS. We also heard big news locally at IMS about their plans to host the first Indy 500 of this pandemic with fans. 40% capacity. The Speedway will allow up to 135,000 fans on race day five weeks from today. We'll talk about that with IMS President Doug Bowles coming up, but we start with an in-focus exclusive. My one-on-one interview with Dr. Anthony Fauci. We talked about the path out of this pandemic and the race to vaccinate here in Indiana and across the country. He's the nation's leading infectious disease expert and now a household name that everyone's come to know. Dr. Fauci, hello. Hello, how are you? So what does Dr. Anthony Fauci have to say about the pandemic's impact on Indiana and the race to vaccinate Hoosiers? The more people we get vaccinated every single day, if we can keep that up, there will be a turning around that you will see right now. We're still seeing a number of Uh, infections per day. And of course, big questions remain about the decision to pause the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and the impact that's having on vaccine supply and perhaps more significantly on demand for the shots. This past weekend at IMS, the mass vaccination clinic at the track no longer required an appointment. Is that a concerning sign or does that mean we're just getting this vaccine out to more people now? I believe we're getting it out to more people. Today is really a very important day because, you know, some people who've really tried, had to jump through a bunch of hoops to get vaccines, you know, they never know when it would be available to them, whether they fit into the priority group. The fact that right now, anyone 16 years of age or older is now qualified to be able to get the vaccine. You don't have to go through any proof that you're in a priority group or not. We hope that this is going to stimulate even more the vaccine uptake. In retrospect, did the decision to pause J&J have a, a detrimental impact on demand, a more detrimental impact than you'd anticipated? You know, you could see how that might happen. If anything, if you think about it for a sec, it really should confirm and underscore how safe vaccines are. Because the same system, the same monitoring system that picked up those very, very rare events with the J&J, which I underscore are very rare, has picked up nothing of concern in the other 202 million doses that have been given. Health officials say the rollout here in Indiana has gone fairly well, but statistically, we rank near the bottom, 43rd out of all 50 states in terms of percentage of population that's been vaccinated. Why is that? And and what's your message to people in states like Indiana where some of the guidelines have now been rolled back, including our mask mandate. Do you think that was a mistake? Well, I mean, I I don't want to be pointing fingers except to say that we do not want to declare victory prematurely. We all want to get to a point where we could start approaching some degree of normality. And the best way to do that is to get vaccinated. All right. 
You can see more of that interview on our website. In the meantime, our other big story, the FedEx shooting here in Indy, and this week a moment of silence on the House floor in Washington to honor the eight victims who lost their lives. Their legacies will live on through our efforts to save lives in the future. Hoosiers are resilient, Madam Speaker, and we will continue working hard to create safer communities across America, always carrying the memory of those we lost. That's Congressman Andre Carson alongside the rest of the Indiana congressional delegation honoring the eight lives lost in that shooting in a bipartisan moment of silence there on the floor of Congress. Of course, this incident has again led to a national conversation about gun reform and specifically Indiana's red flag law. Under state law, a judge has 14 days once a firearm is seized to determine if a person should get it back. In this case, Marion County Prosecutor Ryan Mears says there wasn't enough evidence to go to court. We spoke with Republican State Senator Aaron Houchin, who wants to make the law more strict when it comes to prosecutorial enforcement. Had the prosecutor followed the red flag procedure in this case, then this 19-year-old might have not been able to purchase a second firearm after the family did um, voluntarily uh, you know, turn over that weapon. We have more on our website from the FOP president, former Congresswoman Susan Brooks, weighing in on that issue this week. Meantime, Senate Minority Leader Greg Taylor says this isn't just about the red flag law. He believes it's about the age a person can buy a gun in Indiana. The suspect in this case was 19. Last year, Senator Taylor proposed legislation that would raise the age to 21 to buy a rifle. That bill didn't get a hearing. He should have never been eligible. He was 19. He had mental problems. He probably could have fixed him by 21. But we didn't have the wherewithal in this legislature to pass legislation. State lawmakers wrapped up their work on the state budget this week. A lot of reaction to this news as well this week. Former officer Derek Chauvin found guilty on all three counts in the death of George Floyd, a momentous verdict there in Minnesota this week. It was certainly a consequential week in the news, and that's just one of the many topics I discussed in a one-on-one -on -one interview with the new chairman of the Democratic National Committee ahead of the president's address to Congress on Wednesday. With the president planning to address Congress next week, there's a lot to discuss with new DNC chairman Jamie Harrison. The president speaking to Congress next week. We, we know he'll talk policy. We know he'll talk about the pandemic, but what do you expect to hear from him on a couple of other big topics in the news? Police reform, we just had the Chauvin verdict this past week, and also guns and mass shootings like the one we just experienced here in Indianapolis. Well, you know, uh, the, the president has been a leader in, in both of these spaces, and I think he will continue to lead, and uh, I think we'll hear that in, in his remarks. Right now, there's a lot of uneasiness uh, around this country, and, you know, and I know personally uh, the impact of uh, this gun violence, this massive gun violence that we're seeing in this country. Just sending hopes and prayers is not enough. Um, if our kids are continuing to die, if our loved ones are continuing to be uh, uh, to be mowed down in these type of instances. And I think President Biden is going to try to lead and bring us together to come up with some common sense solution that respects our Second Amendment rights, but at the same time, make sure that everyone is safe. There's been a lot of reaction uh, this week to, to the verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial, uh, but some have also suggested the president and other Democrats like, like Maxine Waters may have gone too far in some of their remarks prior to the verdict. How, how do you respond to that? You know, listen, I, I think that's a lot of uh, political hooey. 
to be quite honest. So listen, uh, this should not be political. The critiques I hear from the other side is pretty empty. Uh, we need to do all that we can to have real policing reform in this country. The president's speech next week is expected to focus on the pandemic and also his $2 trillion infrastructure bill known as the American Jobs Plan. We have not invested in the infrastructure in this nation in a very, very long time. I'm told that there are over 1,100 bridges in Indiana right now, 5,500 miles of road and highway in Indiana. They're in poor condition. This week, Republicans announced their own counterproposal, a plan that would spend $500 billion over the next five years. I want roads and bridges. I want uh, broadband build-out. I, I, I want water infrastructure. Uh, I want to make sure that uh, we're investing in traditional infrastructure priorities. And uh, my hope is that we can work together in a bipartisan way, as, as we have traditionally done on infrastructure bills. Next year, Senator Todd Young is up for re-election. And as Democrats look to keep control of the House and Senate, Young has been raising a lot of money in his campaign for re-election. We're prepared for uh, a very vigorous race and, and one that has to be incredibly well-resourced. Uh, I have to say, you know, uh, just in the last quarter, uh, a month of which was, was taken up by an impeachment trial, uh, people were incredibly generous. I was very busy working on uh, this cutting-edge legislation, the Endless Frontier Act, that will help keep us safe and secure and grow our economy. And uh, even then, uh, we were able to bring in over a uh, million dollars. So uh, I feel secure uh, about the way our campaign's being run, the breadth and depth of support we have across the state of Indiana. Uh, but people that know me uh, understand that I take absolutely nothing for granted. How challenging a race will that be for Democrats here in the Hoosier state? Well, listen, you know, we got a lot of work to do in Indiana, but we got grand, brand new leadership in the Indiana Democratic Party. And I'm very confident. I just spoke with the chair the other day. I'm very, very confident that they are working on a grassroots level to really build up uh, the pipeline of young talent that thinking about running, but also looking at all of the statewide races as well. And so uh, I'm pretty confident that we'll have some good people running for office there in the next cycle. But it's important for us uh, to continue this president's agenda. We need to retain our majorities in both the House and in the United States Senate. And so the DNC is going to do all that it can to make sure we do just that. All right, DNC Chair Jamie Harrison, we have more of that on our website. Coming up next this Sunday in Focus, a new state budget in the works with billions more than originally anticipated. We'll hear from the governor and legislative leaders, plus what it means for Indiana schools. Then later we'll hear from IMS President Doug Bowles on the decision to invite fans to this year's Indy 500 with the month of May right around the corner. Welcome back. State lawmakers wrapped up their work on the state budget this past week, essentially bringing the legislative session to a close, though they will have to return again later this year. Kayla Sullivan takes a closer look at the budget bill that ended up drawing a lot of bipartisan support at the State House. All sides of this issue are excited about the record-breaking investments in K-12 education, but where there's disagreement is that voucher school program expansion. We believe that this is a very good day for Indiana students, our educators, and communities. When Indiana lawmakers found out the state would be getting $2 billion more than expected in revenue last week, the Indiana State Teachers Association demanded it be spent on education. Lawmakers listened. 
This is an important time for schools. I'll just say this because we're making a significant investment. A record-breaking 1.9 billion new dollars will go toward K through 12 education. 600 million will be made available for schools to direct at least 45% tuition support to teacher pay. Lawmakers recommend a $40,000 starting salary for our educators. We just took the exact language out of the teacher compensation report, which is agreed to by a whole number of stakeholders that, that, that were put together. There are other good ideas in the uh, report that, that I'll be paying close attention to in the years ahead. This is a great step in the right direction for Indiana. And uh, we look forward to our role in the collective bargaining process. We've stepped up. Now it's time for locals to step up because we don't really want to be more prescriptive. But with the type of investments we're making, if, if it doesn't get the teacher pay, we might just have to be. There is so much more inside this budget proposal, and we'll have all of that information online. Reporting from the Indiana State House, I'm Kayla Sullivan. All right, let's talk about this here session now with our panel, Jennifer Wagner, Mike Murphy, Robin Winston, and Tony Samuel. And let's start with former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner. Are you surprised at how things ended with this much bipartisan support this year for the budget? I was a little bit surprised, especially as things kind of all came together in that last 48 hours. But, you know, I mean, Republicans will say, thanks, fiscal conservatism. I'll say, thanks, Joe Biden. Uh, we had quite a bit of... Uh, extra cash to spread around. And I think, you know, it's a great day when you can say that both teachers and families are going to be the beneficiary of that massive increase in K-12 funding. Uh, I think that's going to be great. You're going to have families that have more choices and you're going to have teachers, you know, I would argue they should probably start out a little higher than $45,000, but they are long overdue for that raise. And I say that as the product of two uh, public school educators. Let's turn to former GOP lawmaker, Mike Murphy. Mike, you served in the General Assembly. It may be surprising to see this much bipartisan support for a budget bill, but it seems there could be other hurdles ahead for this legislature still. Well, sure. I, mean, I was happy with the budget. Um, you know, when my good friend Ed Delaney votes for a Republican budget, you know the end times are near, that's for sure. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot more uh, underneath the surface, I think, tension, and it'll grow as the uh, attempt to take away the powers of the governor um, is that right now pretty obvious that it's um, a violation of the Constitution goes into federal court. Um, any federal judge will um, will throw that uh, that part of the law out in, in five minutes. Obviously redistricting ahead as well. Robin Winston is former state party chair for the Indiana Democrats and played a key role in the Biden-Harris campaign. Robin, everybody seems to love this budget, uh, but as Jennifer mentioned, now it appears to be a matter of who gets to take credit for the state being able to spend this kind of money. Well, the people that should take credit would be the Hoosiers are going to benefit from it. Teachers, remember, you said 40000 a year. Jennifer's exactly right. Grossly underpaid. That's $20 an hour if that's if that's a regular full-time job. That's not a lot of money for our teachers that are charged with getting our next generation together. The other people that benefited from it, not a lot of fanfare about it, were people involved with the disability community. Folks getting money for special education. Record amount of money being spent there. So... We're reinvesting back in Hoosiers. That's what matters the most. All right, let's turn to Tony Samuel here, 2016 vice chair for the Indiana Trump campaign. We did see right at the end of the session a bill prohibiting vaccine requirements or, or so-called vaccine passports, also a bill that could limit the powers of local health departments. Mike mentioned some of the bills that could limit the governor's powers here. Uh, what stands out to you the most looking back at this session? Well, um, Really, it was a tough session as it started. You know, a lot of a lot of bumps in the road, and then finishing strong with a, a, a very sound budget and, and folks on both sides 
coming together. That that really, uh, I think, set a tone for the future, but it, it, it showed that, that these folks want to work together. There were some things that, uh, you know, I would have liked to have seen gotten done uh, that didn't, a renewable energy bill that didn't uh, quite make it over the finish line. Um, but by and large, uh, it showed that Democrats and Republicans can work together as they uh, showed voting for the budget. Jennifer, obviously the state's gun laws also entered into the conversation here these last few days uh, after the FedEx shooting and a lot of debate about uh, what should have been done differently or what could be done differently in the future when it comes to our state's red flag laws. I think it's important to note that our red flag law actually has been a, uh, we, we were way ahead of the curve in enacting that law. And, and any time you have a, a senseless tragedy like we had at the FedEx facility, you've got people who want to come in and say would have, could have, should have. I want to focus on something that Senator Taylor said in, in the prior segment about mental health. Um, that's not to say we shouldn't have a conversation about common sense gun safety laws, but our mental health support is is way underfunded. I mean, getting help for, for this young man or other people who are experiencing uh, mental health issues. It's not just something that gets solved in, in, in six weeks or six months, but having access to that, that level of service could actually be a game changer in terms of gun violence and all violence. Mike, how do you see this situation and this back and forth this week between lawmakers, the Marion County prosecutor, everyone uh, involved in this situation and this conversation about red flag laws? Well, I, I agree with actually with Jennifer. I mean, mental health is the key here. It's not the guns don't kill people, people kill people. And too often it's people with mental health problems have either been diagnosed and ignored or not, not diagnosed at all. I think the prosecutor could have gone to the judge and asked for an emergency uh, order to keep those guns away from the, uh, this gentleman, but um, he didn't do it. And I can't second guess him completely because I didn't see all the evidence he saw. Robin, President Biden speaks to the nation Wednesday to mark his first 100 days. Uh, do you expect we'll hear more from him uh, on the issue of guns? Obviously, he'll talk about the pandemic as well as uh, his infrastructure plan and his first uh, major address here to Congress. What will we hear from the president? Well, first off, you'll hear normals. Um, that'll, be a, that'll be refreshing. We won't be attacking anybody from the podium. Uh, it's 100 days, 200 million people vaccinated. Uh, record amount of money, which left out in this whole budget discussion, Dan, is $3 billion coming back to Indiana from the federal government. Our tax dollars, by the way, coming back to Indiana to invest back here. He's already talked about ghost guns. He's, he's been a proponent of trying to eliminate those. This president has, has really surprised a lot of people in our party by how diligent he's been on issues that do matter at the kitchen table and rallying people. Now we're trying to get more money for infrastructure. So I think he'll be talking about those issues. Tony, your thoughts. What are you watching for Wednesday night from the president, and what kind of reaction will we see from Republicans? Well, I, I'm watching for honesty, and 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 saying that, I mean, I, I mean that you know it, it'll be a lot of hyperbole, a lot of rhetoric, um, but he won't tell you how much he wants to raise your taxes, uh, and, and he won't with with his jobs plan, and he won't tell you how much with his climate uh, change uh, initiatives uh, towards globalization will cost the American taxpayer as, as they plan on uh, giving billions and billions, hundreds of billions of dollars to other countries. So those are the kinds of things that um, folks really need to study up on, read between the lines, do the research. Um, there's all kinds of problems at the border uh, that, uh, you know, we'll see if he addresses those. Those are, those are caused by his administration um, because he's reversed a lot of the Trump policies. So there's a lot of issues, you know, he'll, he'll make race an issue as he has 
throughout. And, uh, you know, that's a big problem, I think, um, because uh, they're using it to, to divide the country. The way they're actually doing it is what's dividing the country. There's more to say on that and, you, and not enough time here. Jennifer, 30 seconds, uh, 30 seconds here. Jennifer, I'll give you the last word. What do you think we'll hear from President Biden Wednesday? Yeah, I think you're going to you're going to have a, a great change of pace, as Robin said. I think you're going to see calm, cool, collected leadership uh, discussion of the infrastructure plan, an update on covid, where we are and where we go from there. OK, thank you all. We'll see you again in a minute here. Coming up next this Sunday in focus, we're going to talk with IMS President Doug Bowles about the decision to invite fans to this year's Indy 500. Fans will be back in the stands for this year's Indy 500. We spoke with IMS President Doug Bowles about the decision to invite 135,000 fans for this year's race. That'll be the largest crowd for any event during this pandemic. Track officials say masks will be required. We are prepared to ask people to leave if, if they're not going to follow those rules. And as we talked with the, with the city, they felt like it was also important to try and discourage some of the craziness that goes on in the infield. So therefore, uh, the infield will be closed in the spectator mounds. The Indy 500, five weeks from today on Sunday, May 30th. Stick around. We're back right after this. All right, we wrap it up with this week's winners and losers. Jennifer. Yeah, in no way, shape, or form should guilty verdicts in the Derek Chauvin murder trial be seen as a win, but hopefully they will be seen as a turning point in the conversation about racial justice and accountability in this country. Tony. My winner for the week is State Representative Heath Van Adder from Kokomo. He, uh, as uh, chair of the Labor Committee and on the Insurance Committee, worked with healthcare stakeholders to help reduce costs. And uh, he also helped on government reduction through an eyelash extension bill, which helps cosmetology students. Okay, Robin. Uh, America won, and those of us who believe in America won. George Floyd's uh, verdict uh, will make a difference for this and for future generations. Mike. But none of that justice could have happened without a very brave 17-year-old girl, Darnella Frazier, who had the guts to hang in there with a the cell phone camera. She's my winner. All right, much more ahead on Fox News Sunday and Face the Nation. We'll see you next week right here in Focus.